0: The scripture reading before our lesson today is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, What is good and acceptable and perfect for by grace given to me to say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought each give each ought to think but to this, but with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that god has assigned For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are in one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace to us, let us use them. If prophecy and proportion of our faith, if mercy in our service, in our, gift, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness.
1: As we begin our time of study this morning, I want to begin with a prayer, with a very specific prayer that I have thus far neglected to lead us in this month, and it's a prayer for the situation in Israel and Gaza. And I want to do so with the reminder that we have a missionary in that region, Raji Stefan, who, is, uh, who resides in the West Bank and, and, and ministers there in and around Jerusalem, and, and he's being affected by the things happening there. And I think it's pertinent for us as fellow believers to uh, keep that situation in our prayers, realizing that while we are safely worshiping this morning, others are not. So if you will, let's let's go to God in prayer. Our God and Father, we come before you today recognizing that evil still abounds in our world, that we're still in this fallen place where the devil has influence. And Lord, we look forward to the day when all is made perfect. We look forward to the day when your son returns and, and we go to spend eternity with you in a place where evil no longer exists. We look forward to that day. But Lord, until then, we recognize that suffering and tragedy and atrocities still occur. Lord, we're mindful of the innocent people who, who are experiencing difficulties right now In a conflict going on in the Middle East. We're mindful of those hostages still being held. We're mindful of those innocent individuals who are are losing homes. We're mindful of everybody that's suffering at this time. And it's our prayer, Lord, that this conflict will, will cease, that peace may be found. Lord, we are especially mindful of Raji Stefan and the Christians who worship there in the West Bank. And we know that this conflict is affecting them as well. And it's our prayer that they can continue to serve you, they can continue to worship you, and that they will not be um, persecuted in any way for their faith. And that just as we're able to assemble and gather and, and, and engage in this time of worship, that they'll, they'll continue to have that opportunity and that they'll be kept safe from the conflict that is around them. Lord, it's not an easy thing to pray sometimes, but Lord, we pray. We pray that the day, the day of the Lord will come quickly, because only then will this suffering end. And may you aid us all in being ready for that day. We love you, Lord, and it is through the name of your Son Jesus Christ we offer this prayer. Amen. For the past few weeks, we've been engaged in this study of membership. And, and thus far in our study of membership, we've defined what the church is. In the words of the Bible, Jesus built a people, not a place. He, he created an organism, not an organization. And, and we've emphasized that so that we understand what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. We've also taken the time to discuss what it means to place membership because we understand that when you are baptized into Christ, you are added to the universal church, but you are expected as an individual to identify yourself with a local congregation where you intend to practice your membership. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about fellowship and we looked at what fellowship really involves. That it's something to which we must be devoted, and that it's something that requires our consideration of one another. Well, this morning, I want to look at another facet of membership. I want us to look at contribution. But when I said that, many of you probably thought that meant I want to start talking about giving. And that's not the subject matter of today. When I say let's talk about contribution, we're not talking about what you put into the collection plate, but what you put into the kingdom of God. You see, contribution has to do with your participation in the kingdom, your usefulness in the kingdom, your use of your resources in the kingdom. And the thing is, contribution matters. It matters because every member is uniquely gifted. Every member is uniquely gifted. Look at these words that we read a moment ago in Romans chapter 12, but particularly focusing on verses 4, 5, and 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In this passage, Paul said that the church is a body with many members who do not have the same function, but do have differing gifts. Now, he goes on in the same passage, to kind of give a catalog of at least seven different gifts that he identifies. They include prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And we need to acknowledge right off the bat that this is not an exhaustive list. It's not Paul's intent to mention every gift a, a Christian may possess. Maybe he's reflecting on the gifts that he knows are present in the Roman congregation based on the members he's familiar with, the members he will identify in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. Or maybe he's referencing some of the more popular gifts that abound in the churches with which he is uh, in frequent contact. We don't know the, the, the selection process of the seven gifts he identified, but I'm pretty certain that wasn't his exhaustive list of gifts. But the other thing we need to acknowledge... Is that he's not necessarily identifying miraculous gifts. When we hear the phrase spiritual gifts, we often assume someone is talking about the miraculous gifts that are particularly mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Gifts that were imparted either by that unique experience of Holy Spirit baptism that occurred on the day of Pentecost and that occurred in Cornelius' house and no other time, or they were re- imparted by the laying on of the apostles' hands as is expressed in Acts chapter 8 when Simon the sorcerer witnessed that process. But the Bible doesn't just speak about miraculous gifts. The Bible doesn't just limit spiritual giftedness To the the miraculous type that ceased to exist according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. I want you to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Here's a a Trinitarian formula that's uh, mentioned in the context of spiritual gifts. Paul writes these words: Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Years ago, I had a professor point this passage out in a class. And then he made the following connections with it that I want to share with you. And you can take it as you wish. But he noted that when you look at that passage in First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse four, there's a reference to a variety of gifts that are associated with the spirit, a varieties of service associated with Christ, and a variety of activities associated with God. Well you have all three members of the, of the Godhead mentioned, and a few different terms interchangeably mentioned in regards to gifts. But then he took us to that 1 Corinthians 12 passage. And if you pay attention in the subsequent verses of 1 Corinthians 12, we're introduced to the manifestations of the Spirit. And these are gifts, miraculous abilities that include things like the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. But they're all manifestations of the Spirit. The Spirit is emphasized in 1 Corinthians 12. Could it be that since the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 are associated with the Holy Spirit's manifestation, that they fall under the category of the variety of gifts, but the same spirit that Paul was talking about? And if you jump over to Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 7, Paul said that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then verses 11 and 12 of that same chapter, he goes on to expound on what the Christ's gifts were. And he identified them as the roles of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And their purpose was to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Could it be that since these gifts are associated with Christ, and they reflect roles in which Christians serve, That they fall under the category of varieties of service, but the same Lord. And then if you go to Romans chapter 12, which is the focus of our study today, that list of gifts is a a list of specific activities in which we engage. And looking back at verse 3, you'll see that Paul referenced the measure of faith that God has assigned, associating the gifts in Romans chapter 12 with God in particular. Could it be that they fall under the category of varieties of activities, but the same God? Here's my point. When you look at Scripture and you look at what it says about spiritual gifts, whether or not this classification is correct, a totally different story. But when you look at what Scripture has to say about Spiritual gifts, not all of them are miraculous. The gifts mentioned in Romans 12 appear to be a, a reference or may be a reference to the variety of activities that Paul mentioned in verse, uh, verses 4-6 through 6 of First Corinthians 12. They are not necessarily miraculous. Even prophecy is not always miraculous. A prophet is simply a spokesman for another, so its presence in this list could simply be a reference to the work of, of someone communicating God's instructions, commands, and exhortations not necessarily foretelling the future. And throughout the New Testament, we have non-miraculous gifts mentioned. You have Apollos in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24, who was an eloquent and knowledgeable orator of Scripture. You have Barnabas, who was such a good encourager that he was given the nickname Son of Encouragement. You have Cornelius, who was known as a generous giver, according to Acts chapter 10 and verse 2. Dorcas was known for her good and Good works and acts of charity, which were evidenced through the clothes she made for widows in Acts chapter 9. James, the brother of Jesus, showed tremendous leadership during the meeting between the church in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem regarding the circumcision of Gentile converts in Acts chapter 15. And Philip was apparently an extraordinary teacher who helped the Ethiopian eunuch understand what he was reading in Isaiah, which inevitably led to his baptism in Acts chapter 8. Those gifts are not necessarily miraculous. And we need to acknowledge that. Because all too often we classify spiritual gifts as some miraculous ability that you possess that ceased to exist when the Word of God came into existence. But there are gifts, there are skills, there are talents, there are abilities that are not miraculous, that are God-given and intended for use in His kingdom. And I personally believe that what Romans chapter 12 is communicating is that you have gifts, you have abilities, you have skills, and I do too, that God intends for us to bring with our membership. And it's interesting because the reason we have this diversity of gifts, talents, abilities, skills, roles, and resources is so that we will need each other. God did not intend for Christians to operate independently of one another. But man, we try, don't we? We try to operate in isolation. But when you look at what the Bible says about our gifts, it's very clear that God never intended it to be that way. He designed the church to be a body that benefits from everyone's contribution of resources. Look at what he said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What Paul is getting at is that each part of the body fulfills a specific function that the other parts can't fulfill. Your eye can't do what your ear can do, and your ear can't do what your nose can do. I think the underlying message of what Paul is saying is that there are no five-tool Christians. In baseball, you have what's known as five-tool athletes. These are guys who have all of the skill sets when it comes to that sport. They can hit with power. They can hit for average. They can throw. They can field like a gold glove winner. And they can run the bases. There are very few five-tool athletes in baseball. Right now, there's one that's universally acclaimed as a five-tool athlete, and that's Mike Trout. And what Paul is saying is there are no five-tool Christians. There's no one in the church who has all the skills and all the talents and all the gifts because God intended it to be a place where we benefit from the mutual collaboration that is the church. And I guess it should be pointed out that even though Mike Trout is a five-tool athlete, he's never made it to the World Series. Not trying to dog the guy, just trying to point out that when we try to go solo, it doesn't really accomplish what it does when we're part of the body. Because when you take all of those talents and all of those gifts and all of those skill sets, more is accomplished. See, here's the big takeaway from this understanding of membership. In order for us to be members of one another, we cannot operate independently. A body is not functioning at its peak when each individual member is doing its own thing. A body functions at its peak when all of its members are working in unison toward a common objective. So think about it this way. When you're swinging a golf club or you're sewing a dress or casting a fishing line, painting a picture or playing a musical instrument or even just typing on your computer. You need your brain, your eyes, and your hands to all work in unison. Without your brain, your eyes, and your hands all working in tandem with each other, you can't complete that task. But you know what? You need more than that. You also need your heart to continue pumping, your lungs to continue inhaling and exhaling, your kidneys to continue filtering, and your stomach to continue digesting. Your body needs all of its parts making their contributions in order for it to function properly. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. Every member of the body has its part to play, has its contribution to make. And if a part of your body quits contributing, then oftentimes that part has to be removed in order for the body to remain healthy, right? If your gallbladder quits working properly, what do surgeons do? They take it out. If your leg is badly injured and blood flow can't be restored to it, what do surgeons do? They amputate it. Why? Because being a member of an organism means you either participate or else you have to evacuate. And having Leah has reminded me of that more than anything else. Let me explain why. So with the addition of Leah, Sarah and I have gotten to enjoy the um, joys of parenthood eight years after we did it the first time. And one of those joys when they are an infant is the feeding process, right? Right? You may not know, most of you probably know, Leah has a very sensitive digestive system. And when she was younger, she had to be put on a specialized formula. And one day I have Leah sitting in my lap, and I'm introducing her body to the Similac family via a bottle. And as I'm, she's laying there in my lap, and, 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 and the Similacs are going in, they immediately meet this group of people known as the Gastric Juices. And I imagine that the conversation between the two went something like this. The Gastric Juices, operating as the, uh, the greeters of the body, welcomed the Similac family and said, We are so glad to meet you. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to Leah's body. And the Similex said, Well, thank you very much. We're happy to be here. And the Gastric Juices said, Well, we're the Gastric Juices, and we're here to incorporate you into Leah's body. And the Similex said, Wait a second. We don't want to be incorporated into Leah's body. We just came by to visit. We don't intend to stay. We don't intend to uh, become part of this. We don't intend to contribute anything. And the gastric juices said, well, that's not how it works in the body. When you enter Leah's body, you have to incorporate and contribute to the well-being of the whole body. And the simulac said, well, we don't want to do that. So the gastric juices said, if you don't want to contribute, then you have to leave. And the gastric juices disfellowshipped, Leah's, or disfellowshipped the Simlach family all over my pants. Now, I do have to tell you. That really didn't happen, but the use of that as an illustration I got from another preacher. But it's so appropriate because I think that's what the Bible communicates when it comes to our incorporating of one another into the body, of our contribution, one another, to the work of the body. The well-being of the body needs all of our contributions. And that's the thing. Contribution matters not only because... Each individual is gifted, but also because each member is expected to use their gift. In reference to our differing gifts, Paul said, let us use them in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. I mean, it couldn't be stated any more plainly than that. That's a command. That's not an option. That's not a suggestion. That's a direct command from Paul. And it's not the only time he makes such a statement. You can go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 following that list of divinely ordained roles we've already mentioned. Paul indicated that the whole body of Christ is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Inherent within what Paul is saying here is that every member of the body has something to supply, and every member of the body is expected to contribute, to do its part. And you can go over to 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, where Peter said, As each individual has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And if you look at the end of verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. The implication is that our contribution to the kingdom benefits its members and also brings glory to God. Such passages indicate that we have a responsibility to contribute our talents, our skills our knowledge, our resources, our gifts to the work of the kingdom, and failure to do so is condemnable. The Bible makes it clear that if we are not working, if we are not contributing, if we're not allowing ourselves to be used, then we are endangering ourselves spiritually. This is apparent from the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the talents is ultimately about stewarding your resources for the benefit of God's kingdom. And we often go to it when it comes to our financial stewardship. But it's broader than that. In this parable, Jesus describes the distribution of resources to three different servants. One servant received five talents. Now talent here is a reference to a monetary uh, to, to, to currency. Another servant received two talents and a third servant received one talent. Now It's worth noting that these servants did not receive the same amount of resources. They have varying degrees of resources at their disposal. Just like you and I have varying degrees of giftedness, of skill sets, of talents. And because their resources differed, their gains were expected to differ as well. Notice the five-talent servant gains five more talents, and he's praised for that. The two-talent servant gains two more talents, and he's praised for that. The two-talent servant wasn't expected to gain five talents, nor was the five-talent servant expected to just produce two talents. There was a proportional uh, expectation here in relation to the um, amount of resources they were given. Now, as the story goes, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant both took the resources they had received, utilized them, and grew the master's kingdom. And when the master returned to examine the results of their work, what did he say to those two individuals, to both of them? He said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. But then we have that one-talent servant. And all we know is that he took his resource and buried it. He deliberately chose not to utilize it. And as a result, he did not contribute to the growth of his master's kingdom. Now notice the response of the master to that one-talent servant. Recorded in Matthew chapter 25, between verses 26 and 30. The master replied, You wicked, lazy servant! So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The master Called the one talent servant, the, talent, the, the servant who hid his talent, wicked, lazy, and worthless. And then he deemed him unfit to receive a reward. In fact, he deemed him worthy of only punishment. And the language of punishment that's used here, the language uh, that's used in condemning the one talent servant, the outer darkness the weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's all language typically associated with hell. I believe a significant lesson for us to take away from this parable is that in the eyes of the master, one's failure to contribute his or her gifts is an act of wickedness, laziness, and worthlessness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be associated with those things. So here's the overall message today. The Bible declares that we have gifts, not miraculous gifts, just abilities and skill sets and talents that God intends for us to use for his kingdom. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you, as a member of the body of Christ, contributing to the kingdom, or are you withholding? I've shared this with you before, but there is an aqueduct in Segovia, Spain. It's one of the most well-preserved elevated Roman aqueducts in the world. It was likely constructed toward the end of the first century or the beginning of the second century, and yet it still stands today. It was designed to transport water from the Rio Frio River to the city of Segovia, spanning a distance of nearly 11 miles the elevated portion of the aqueduct, which you can see on the screen right now, measures 2,388 feet in length and is 93 and a half feet tall at its max, maximum height. It consists of approximately 24,000 granite blocks fit together to make 165 arches, which are more than 30 feet tall. And this amazing feat of engineering continued to carry water to the people of Segovia until the 20th century. According to legend, it was decided that the aqueduct should be preserved rather than used. So modern pipes were installed to bring drinking water to the town, allowing the aqueduct to rest as a treasured monument. But something unexpected apparently happened. The aqueduct began to deteriorate. Apparently, the absence of water flowing through the aqueduct allowed the sun to dry out the rocks and mortar, which then caused the structure to start crumbling. And as a result... The aqueduct of Segovia is listed by a World Monuments Fund as a monument to watch due to its deteriorating state. So ultimately, the lack of use brought about its demise. We might refer to that as atrophy. And if you're not using the talents and the skills and the abilities that God has given you, that God has blessed you with for service in his kingdom and for his glorification, then all you're doing is spiritually atrophying. God intends for you to be a contributor. This morning, as you sit amongst this body today, is that what you are? Are you a contributor or are you a moocher? See, you're one or the other. You're either contributing to the body of Christ, contributing to the kingdom of God, participating in the works of the church, utilizing your talents, your skills, and your abilities for the glory of God, or you're not. And if you're not, you might want to pay careful attention to the parable of the talent. This morning, the invitation is offered. That if you need to make any correction in your life, if you need to turn your life over to the Lord, if you need to make the decision that one made just last week to put on Christ in baptism so that your sins are washed away, that invitation is offered. But the invitation is this. Don't be lazy. Don't be worthless. Don't be wicked. Be useful because that's what God has called you to be. If you have any need to respond to the invitation this morning, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.